Hello and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, outgoing CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, financial and commercial risk analyst, who is very much staying where he is. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> Good morning, Joe. Um, so just to let listeners who might not have seen the announcement last week, this will be my last time hosting um, on the On The Spot podcast as CEO of Company Watch. Um, I've been associated with Company Watch in some form or other since my undergraduate days back in 1999. It seems like a long time ago. Um, and I've been CEO since 2017. But I've got two primary school children at home and a husband who's made quite a lot of sacrifices for me to have my dream career. So I've decided that it's time to prioritise um, family and go and work with my husband on his business. But I'm really happy that Craig Evans, um, who is a business information industry veteran, um, who joined us in June 2022, has been appointed as my successor. So I know I shall be leaving Company Watch in the very best of, of hands. And of course, Nick, who I think you've retired at least three times <laughs> since least. I've known you, at least. Um, you have uh, very kindly agreed to, to carry on um, with our uh, Company Watch podcast. So um, listeners will be tuning in to, to hear you in future as well. Um Back to today. We're recording this episode on Monday, the 21st of November. Um, we're, we've got quite a lot to cover. I mean, obviously, the fallout from the autumn statement um, that was made last Thursday um, and accompanied by OBR forecast, the Office for Budget Responsibility, which very notably the mini budget on the 23rd of September wasn't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we've got some quite meat um, to, to, to look at. But I think there's also been other um, indicators that have been released over the last few days as well, not, not least GDP, inflation, insolvency stats. So I think we'll, we'll consider all of these things um, in the round in, in today's episode. So, Nick, shall we start with... <clears throat> awesome statement. Yes, you sort of um, you, you sort of think that if um, if the mini budget was a total disaster and um, perhaps possibly the right thing, but at entirely the wrong time, what you've now got is a strange um, statement that appears to do a lot, but actually not much of it now. Much of it has been pushed out um, into the far distance, no doubt for political reasons. Who knows? Um, yeah, what, it's interesting. Is it 2024, 2025 seems to be the crunch time. And when's our next yes. election due? I think December 2024. 2024. <laughs> but never mind. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that the um, the markets who um, savaged the mini budget seem broadly happy. There have been, there's been some movement in yields and, <clears throat> and sterling. But broadly speaking, I think the markets are saying, yeah, all right, OK, so you've got it that we weren't happy Um and we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, I mean, I did hear one deeply cynical comment that the markets are happy because they don't actually believe any of this will happen. Not the cutting, anyway. Oh, really? That's interesting. <clears throat> well, for political reasons. So yeah. so we will see the two things. I mean, this, this autumn statement has been analysed into oblivion, so let's not do that all over again. The two things that came out of it for me were... Um, the good news, which has been widely um, praised by the, uh, the by, by the leisure industry and by the retail sector, which is something has been done for smaller businesses on the business rates front. Which is definitely needed. Definitely needed. Oh, I mean, desperately mm. needed. The um, and let's not get into the detail of that because that's all out there. Um, the bad news is that they have yet again kicked any serious reform of business rates 
into the, the the longest of the long grass. You know, it seems no intention, no no suggestion of when it might be looked at. So you know that remains. You know this is a tax that has to be sorted out eventually, but heaven knows when. Yeah. The other one that <clears throat> I couldn't see. We had a quick Google beforehand, and we yeah. still couldn't find it. I couldn't. I mean, lots of stuff about the what's going to happen to consumer energy prices after April with the cap rising from two and a half to three thousand um, and continued support for, you know, targeted support for those that in, in the greatest need of help. What I couldn't see was anything about what's supposed to happen to business energy costs after April, which, of course, means you've got a fantastically um, prejudicial cliff edge. Out and we're there. already starting to hear, you know, I think we've talked about this in, in previous episodes on particularly on the data center um cost side, which are hugely energy intensive. Mm-hmm. And so many businesses rely on on hosted services to, to kind of to provide their their own kind of online services. Um and, and many data centers are not really are not willing to commit to contracts without yep. kind of hiving off the energy costs as a separate um as a separate section. And now, you know, I think lots of the data centers aren't able to make profit on on energy but they just they do need to cover costs you know that's a kind yeah. of basic rule of business isn't it that you have to sure. be able to have you know to, to be able to cover the the, the costs that you you incur doing business so i think that there is something that that we do need to hear more um, on that if any listeners have found something that we have failed to find then it would be interesting but we will we will keep looking um at that which is which is problematic i wouldn't mind just saying something quickly on the obr um mm-hmm. of course. Uh, document I mean, anybody who has got the stomach for this, read the first four pages of the forward because it really lays bare the chaos that we have been in as a country since July. Um, and, you know, they, they make the point that they produced seven forecasts. Normally one forecast round, you know, a 10-week period. They've done seven forecast rounds for three prime ministers and three chancellors. They worked really hard to, to have the, the forecast ready for um, Kwasi Kwarteng when he took office on the 6th of, of September. Um, and obviously that wasn't required, as it <laughs> turned out. Um, so I think there has been, I think with all the, the OBR forecasts, we always say there's elements, but I think particularly now they've had to work so quickly and they've had to use kind of quick quick forecast models rather than the really in-depth, detailed um, forecast they would do. And they make a plea to say they're really, you know, really be desirable to see the return of this (laughs) 10-week period. And really, you know, it's not pretty. They look at the charts in the in the forecast. And we, if you think back to March, when we were looking at charts and the mark forecast that were looking pretty horrendous compared mm. to the previous um set of forecasts, the March 2022 forecast now look positively jolly compared to what's yes. what's really being forecast in, in November 2022. And the, this it, it has a, such a huge impact, this wipeout of living standards and the the um I think they're saying we go back eight years of growth are being wiped out. Okay. And we only really um return to kind of pre-pandemic levels of growth by Q4 2024. Um, and that has such an impact on the economy, doesn't it? We're a consumer economy. And so seeing all these costs going up and living standards, you know, really being gnawed away at will have an impact on on the ability to grow. And and the most devastating judgment on all of that, <clears throat> what might that be? An entire weekend of political comment acknowledging that Brexit is a problem. I you yeah. know I sort of thought I might never see that, and, it and, is. and think... then they say it's very clear in here that that 
migration is the only way really that growth is going to is going to be increased because productivity there's no, nothing in the OBR forecast that says productivity is going to suddenly get better there's no there's no plan for that and the the increase in GDP comes from an increase in migration yes because because at the end of the day um we we know business investment is flat on its back and um, and and not good but even if there was more business investment where's you know to the extent that this requires labor where's it coming from you know yeah. and we'll t- we'll talk in a, in a in a bit about the employment figures that came out last week and if you look at the if you dig down into the into the sort of bowels of the uh, of the impl- of the labor market it is not at all a good sight you know so dead right you know migration is the only answer yeah. however unpalatable it might be to some people but uh, well, I mean, productivity. I mean, wouldn't that be? I know my colleague Adam Stones would be kind of talking about productivity. That's one of his favourite um, yeah. favourite topics. But you know, you really that those are your two choices. And we've said this before: if you want growth, you either have to increase your productivity or you have to increase the the, the availability of labour. Um, because at the moment, we haven't got the productivity and labour is so short. We're seeing these huge. Yeah. Pay rises. I mean, we can we could go into all the industrial maybe not. That's for a, I'll leave that for one of my my colleagues to to take over about industrial disputes and and labour and so on. But I mean, maybe it's actually worth Nick. Why don't we Why don't we jump onto the employment um, numbers because you've got some really interesting yes, um, stats on I, I there. Mean, absolutely extraordinary. Um, the I mean, first of all, the unemployment rate unexpectedly jumped from three point five to three point six percent. I think it was expected to stay static, possibly go down in a very small way, but it's gone up 3.6%. And what does come out of it is let's let's before we get into the the details of the of what's going on in the labor market, you continue to have the differential between public and private sector pay rises. The public sector 6% and you know and more and private sector 2%. Oh so, other way around. Other way around. Public sorry. sector. Uh, public sector two percent. Two percent. So no wonder we have we have um, um, un, unrest and strikes and you know, the greatest number of train cancellations ever. Um, so you know, and that is a situation which again is not going to change, I don't think, and is continued is going to continue to make um, uh, the economy inefficient. And also, but, but you know, I was I was with a, a group of um, business, mostly SME um, executives on Thursday when the autumn statement came out, and, and round the table, the comment was on the uprating of benefits in line with inflation, which is how much harder that then becomes for their positions when um, giving pay rises. I and mean, this was a mixture, mostly private sector, but a couple of um, kind of basically pub- public sector type um, bodies in that room, um, you know, saying that you know the pressure then to to agree double digit pay, pay rises is just, increased. just it, it must be increased <clears throat> now if you look at what's going on inside the labor market <clears throat> i mean there are some really scary figures here the number of people who are out of work because of long term ill health is now above 2.5 million for the first wow. time ever now that's a combination of long covid I speak as a victim of long COVID. It's not pleasant. Um, but um, it's also a function of the waiting lists in the NHS. Mm. People who would be back at work if they could have their surgery or their treatment or their whatever else, yeah. but aren't. But aren't. So, you know, that's a staggering number. Mm. You know, that's that what is that? About eight percent of the labor force? Something like that. Yeah. Something it's like huge, that. Huge. Something something like that. Um 
And uh, the other thing is employment now, you know, okay, so the rate is way down at 3.5%. The number of people in work is 330,000 lower than pre-pandemic still. For all the gig economy and the you know all the the, the changes to the structure of work, we're still 330k down. And if you look at the statistics for economic inactivity, we are 630,000 people declaring themselves um, economically inactive compared to pre-pandemic. And if you add in the over 65s who are looking for work um, but can't find it, it's a million. And there are, and there's been a growth um, this year of two hundred thousand in the number of people out of work for five years or more. And that's that is that is heartbreaking, isn't it? Because that that is, is, it's very hard to um, to get back into to work, and yet we need those, these are people we we desperately do need to come into the economy. You you had some interesting stats on the vacancies as well, didn't you? What's yes. happening <clears throat> to to vacancies? Now, 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 in vacancies, I mean, we're still at about the 1.2 million mark. Um, we're down a bit on the peak, um, but the ONS actually broke these figures down by sector, and they compared the current situation for vacancies with the peak, which was in um, the, the, the March to May quarter 2022, early this year, and pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And you find um, that in most sectors, the number of vacancies has gone down. Surprisingly, they've gone down in accommodation and food services, leisure. Um, and I think that's because those jobs have gone. It's not because there's been a sudden upsurge in no. people going and, and suddenly changing and retraining into those, those sectors, is it? It's because we know that restaurants are either closing or shortening hours you know or making a com- some kind of accommodation yeah, to right. to kind of cope with the um shrinking workforce yeah so most sectors are going down one sector the number of vacancies is exactly the same and that's health and social care i'm surprised that's not still rising i'm really yeah, am. quite yeah. and, the, and, and the one odd sector although the numbers are relatively smaller than some other sectors like health and and leisure um is education where the number of vacancies has gone up we think maybe leaving people leaving teachers the leaving the profession. Eventually, mm. I don't know. I don't know, but it, it it's a really interesting <clears throat> chart, and it, it it shows where where the where the labour market may be functioning more efficiently. But again, probably because the level of activity is going down, therefore the number of jobs, re- number of people required is less. Yeah, and so the vacancies fall. I don't think it's well. Clearly, it's not because people are getting into work because the number of people in work isn't rising. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, isn't rising. So uh, fascinating. I mean, what it tells us is that somebody has to do something about the labour market, and it does sound as though the Chancellor has got it. Whether the government will find that politically acceptable in the current state of warfare in the Tory Party, I don't know. Yeah, you know, interesting to, to to see how this um this develops, I think. But and and, it, and even, you know, we're we're looking at the um just just quickly popping back to the OBR report on unemployment. They're saying that the unemployment rises from 3.5% currently with 3.6% latest figures to 4.9%. So that's an increase of about half a million by Q3 2024. So again, that's still hmm. we're still in this very tight um yeah. space um for another another couple of years. So 
Yeah, interesting, um, interesting uh, stats on that. Should we should we go back to the um, we were going to look at inflation GDP? Yes. Numbers. Yeah. Okay. Let's let, let's do inflation first. Um, headline inflation rate CPI eleven point one percent. The consensus forecast was ten point seven percent. So higher. Mm. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, because this was the month when the energy price cap rose. So energy costs are a big, big contributor. Yeah. Would have been two and a half percent higher. That's higher. What reckon OBR reckons. Yeah. But for the but for the the price protection um, scheme and food prices and food prices. Glory be. I mean, we're talking about um, what was the figure? Sixteen percent food. In, no, sixteen percent for certain staples, basic uh, items, and about fourteen percent across you know across the whole food um, food range. So you know that's um, and again, it clearly uh, that that inflation is going to get another kick in April because of what's been decided about putting the energy price cap up. So, you know, the Bank of England talking about inflation, you know, falling rapidly next year, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the, the um, OBR as well think that this is the peak, the so Q4 2022, yeah. they're saying it kind of peaks out at 11%. Um, but again, I, I feel like you and I would probably be skept- a little bit sceptical about um, well, we'll, about that, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the thing that uh, the, uh, these numbers are horrible. The thing that worries me, actually, from enough, is not this headline rate. It's it's the fact that what is going to happen as the inflation rate drops next year is it's going to be spun as a positive development, and and to to an extent, it is a positive development. However, think about the public sector workers who've suffered 11% inflation, and say it goes down to 7 or 6 or 5 next year, they only got a 2% pay rise. Now, let's see what happens in the next six months. But the gap between that inflation figure and the pay rise figure, average earnings uh, figure, is baked in. Because unless we have deflation, the answer is those price rises are not going to be reversed. And so that's a cost of living hit that's with us into into infinity and, and I there's think some really interesting that. charts in the obr i want you i mean you have to get down i i confess once you get past about 12, 12 of the obr it gets very detailed very technical but there are some kind of call out boxes that mm. talk about exactly this 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 yeah. living standards um hit um and yeah it really is it, it really makes for quite quite shocking um reading and it precisely these these things the in, in uh, the inflation um rate and the lack of Pay rises to, to keep up with inflation. Yeah. This is what the OBR talks about in, in quite a lot of detail. So, yeah. um, and again, you know, as, as we said, that 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 does all obviously have an impact on the economy in general because if there's less disposable income, then that that clearly has an yeah. impact on the um, health of other other businesses. Yeah. Um, in fact, why don't we then look at insolvency? Because again, the insolvency right. rates. Okay, you've done some amazing work because we, <laughs> I think, most of our listeners will know that um, the insolvency figures are published in. By England and Wales, and then Scotland and then Northern Ireland separately. So separately. it takes a bit of <laughs> work yes, to and, actually and, and, get something and, meaningful. And funny, the all you ever get are the England and Wales um, figures commented on. So what I what I did, being um, being um, both a nerd and seriously OCD, was was to go away and dig into the um, uh, the spreadsheets that go behind the insolvency stats. And the most wonderful thing is, those are not. Um, 
uh, edit protected. So you can actually go and change the um, spreadsheets. But anyway, that's another another story for another time. Um, If you add England and Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland together, and you get the figures for the first 10 months, which is what we've got now, you get um, insolvencies so far in 2022 of 19,000, 19,132. If you annualise that, you come up within a, within spitting distance of 23,000 insolvencies this year. <clears throat> and I think given that um, October was significantly higher than the previous month, and it was the highest month for a very long time, the the answer is it may be a bit more than twenty three thousand because you did them on a straight basis, haven't you? Kind of divided by ten yeah, times twelve type basis, and I think you're right. I think that there we could well see an acceleration um, in this in these last I, couple I, of months. I think, I think that's right. Now that that uh, twenty three thousand, we will be sixty six percent up on last year, which is sort of not the most valid comparison of all time because it wasn't a straightforward year. 2021. But if you look pre-pandemic and you look at the first 10 months of 2019, we are a quarter up, 23% to be precise. And it's still coming from CVLs, although CVLs are decelerating, or Mm -hmm. the growth is decelerating. Um, CVLs are um, in October, the latest month, 82% of all business failures yeah. Uh, compulsory winding up are 12% and administrations are 5%. Look back to pre-pandemic to October 19, um, CVLs are now 82%, as I said, and they were 71%. Um, compulsory, so, so they're still ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, compulsory winding up um, down now to 12%, it was 16% pre-pandemic. And that is that is catching up, you know, from the from the petition statistics, we know that that's beginning to catch yeah, up. Yeah. The, the, the one that's really odd is that administrations are 5% in October 22. They were 11% pre-pandemic. Now, I think that um, might be... Because administrations typically are larger companies. You don't get many administrations with really small companies. No. It tends to go the, the CVL route, you know, on the whole. Um, if they are the bigger companies, the bigger companies, all, all the sector analysis, I do regular sector analysis for um, my insolvency firm client. And when you break it down at the statistics, the figures for larger companies in all these sectors if you look back a year, they're better now than they were a year ago. And I think it's because they they have the financial muscle to have, you know, sorted out their balance sheets, um, uh, sorted out elements of productivity. They were better at, at pivoting yeah. during the, the pandemic when things, when their, when their business model started to go wrong. But when you begin to look forward now, uh, with higher interest rates, higher energy costs, labour market problems, and the economy shrinking, then I think that that might begin to become a problem again. And certainly there have been, uh, I'm thinking about what's happened in the last couple of weeks, three weeks, there is suddenly a rash of of quite high profile administrations, yeah. uh, not just in retail, and there are a couple in retail, but there are um, there are there are things happening in construction. A lot of lot of quite quite big construction subcontractors beginning to go under. 
so and bear in and mind, that's always the sector we look at it's, it's a canary in the coal yeah. mine we know yeah we know so um i i think that's a that's a worry having <clears throat> having said the big companies have probably had a good a, a better couple of years than we might have expected i think that's changing so fun enough having having said over and over again on these podcasts it's all about the individual risk and sort of said you know the smaller the company the bigger the risk i think that people need to be looking slightly more carefully at their bigger risks yeah and that's where the kind of best forecast view um like those, those quick scenarios um that you, that you can run on on the company watch uh platform now will be will be really useful to to look at yeah. some of these yeah. these bigger um risks because i think you're right nick and i, and I think there has been there's been a more leeway people the bigger companies and buy themselves a bit more time, mm. you know, discussion sure. with creditors. And nobody really wants to see big companies go under. So there is always that willingness, I think, to work with with yeah. a customer and, and or a supplier and try and just just eke out mm. a little bit longer. But I think you're right. I think with 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 what's what we're staring um at, there could well be some that are just not going to be able to survive the next round of shock sure. that we're um, we're coming into. Yeah. Well, Nick, I think that does that cover. Our no, we, haven't, we haven't talked point? about GDP, except tangentially. But we have sort of covered it. I mean, July to September, <clears throat> the uh, GDP was down 0.2%, uh, which was less than was feared. But, you know, the OBR is saying we're in for a very extended period of um, a, quite a shallow recession. Yeah, I that think they're saying two percent overall, aren't they? I think uh, peak to trough. Yeah. I think they're they're talking yeah. about um, that being yeah, by uh, fall of two percent GDP, um, and the recession would take about a year. They they think. Yeah, something something like that. So so we'll you know we'll see how that um, how that pans out. But overall, not much of a picture, Joe. And it's still, still, I think, comes back to this point that we all thought we were back to pre-pandemic um, levels, and it is frustrating. You know, I, I know the the ONS, you know, do a difficult job <laughs> with putting all this. You know, it's a lot of complicated data to put in. But I think now we're increasingly seeing, I guess, because it is such a, it's been such an extraordinary period that we've just lived in. Um, there are revisions to previous, so it's a bit like trying to catch sand, isn't it, with working yeah. out quite where we are and when we are. Yeah. So the OBR, I think, has quite a good um, analysis and and their view, as I think we, we mentioned earlier, is that, that pre-pandemic GDP is only really coming back in, in 2024, which um, is shocking. Although, and again, I, I think we've, we've talked about this before in terms of the comparison with other um, countries, G7, G20. Remember that the UK does measure GDP in a slightly different way from yes. the other major economies and I think the ONS is trying to look at the kind of output measure of GDP whereas most other countries look at input um, yeah. GDP which does it, it makes comparison quite hard but I think then mm. if you look at within the country and you've kind of got it we've got an internally consistent methodology that we use in the UK you know it's still meaningful to look at the UK's picture but the, the comparisons with other countries I would say treat with treat with caution. <laughs> so Nick, what a pleasure. Since I think 26th of March 2020 was when we um when we recorded our first podcast in those dark days yes. of of COVID. Um and thank you so much. It's been such a such a pleasure to to work with you over this. It's been this a job couple of years. 109 podcasts, we think. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you've done all of them. I think I've missed a couple, but I think you you've been there for all of them. So thank you very much. I shall enjoy um tuning in as a as a listener. Um to all our listeners, thank you so much. We will be back. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.